0: this is the shift now. So in terms of any sort of professional who wants to build a career, even an entrepreneur, right, these days, because you can now have people on staff as an entrepreneur, as you do, Craig, who are across the globe. It's like the way you do business these days. You don't just have to go, oh, I must have staff that are from Australia because that doesn't have to happen anymore. It's just, it's this whole world. And so what that then means is, how we come across here within this online environment makes a difference because basic humans, we are always judging other people. It's just something we do. We are always creating meaning and going, oh, what does that mean about this person? And putting ourselves in the best light to have the best first impression is then going to help.
1: How do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left? What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are the sum of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders Curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high-performance leadership expert, international speaker, and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders Podcast. With the ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the inspiring great leaders podcast. And today I'm super excited about sitting down and having a great conversation with a speakers Institute corporate colleague and friend. She has a brilliant mind for entrepreneurship is a specialist in nonverbal communication for influence and engaging speaker and facilitator with over 20 years experience with up to Fortune 500 companies, is a co-author of Amazon bestseller Businesswoman and founder of The Natural Perfume Collective. It's a privilege to introduce to you a leader who is known for her vivacious energy, heart-centered approach, solving challenging problems and being a super connector. She loves nurturing rising talent, Jessica Kylie, Jessica, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Craig. A pleasure to be here with you. Uh,
1: And it's so much fun. And look, you know, we've just rebranded the podcast to inspiring great leaders. And I know together we work a lot uh, in that space of inspiring a lot of leaders around the world. And so it's super exciting to have you here today. Look, Jessica, I've known you for a while, but what I don't know much about is is where you grew up uh, as a young child. Tell me a little bit about life for you as a little kid?
0: Ah, uh, good question and place to start. Uh, I was actually born in Wellington in New Zealand. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, not that my parents were uh, Kiwis at all. They, My dad was in a band and my mum was one of the groupies and his girlfriend, and they were on a band tour of New Zealand. Obviously, my mum was pregnant, you know, in those days, like anything they went and did. Um, so I was born while they were over there, but then pretty much came back with them here to Australia. But I, anytime I'm in New Zealand, I very much feel at home. So I feel my soul past lives potentially, uh, were there in that beautiful country of New Zealand, but I grew up and we spent some time on a farm, a fair few years on a farm in Bathurst. So some of my childhood, earliest childhood memories are of, um, climbing on top of hay bales and helping out with the shearing of the sheep and we would like after they shear the sheep in those days they would put those rings around their tails so that they would then drop off of the lambs Um, and we would go around like finding the little red rubber bands on the ground and and as kids we'd pick them up and be chewing them in our mouth (laughs) I've got a really good immune system I think because of that um but you know outside and learning to swim in the deep pool there and streams and water and um stuff so i have very fond memories of being on that beautiful little farm there and then we moved to the eastern suburbs of sydney and i've pretty much lived in sydney most of my life different parts in terms of primary school in the east and then high school in the um outer west suburbs of sydney And yeah, I mean, my childhood was pretty good and easy. I was a great student. I liked school and made friends easily. Um, And yeah, but I loved that. Always had memories of being on a farm. And as kids were on holidays, we would go to, we'd do camping trips. And um, one of them we did around like the Streslecki Desert, which is in the middle of Australia with my mum's brothers and sisters who are all ornithologists and these amazing environmentalists so we'd learned all the names of the different birds wherever we were going um so yeah pretty good childhood
1: Ah, very nice And, and obviously a big contrast between growing up on that farm and then being in suburbia of you know eastern suburbs of sydney quite a big shift as well did you find that that transition from you know that quiet sort of country area into the city, uh, challenging at first, or did you find you adapted pretty quick?
0: Oh, Craig, I was maybe seven years old. <laughs> so you're, That was a long time ago. Let me ask my seven-year-old self. Um, I, not, not, not that I noticed. Yeah, so not that anything that has stood out for me in terms of that transition. I think as a, a young kid, your boy is quite flexible and it's like a new world each time, wherever you go. And I was the type of kid who who made friends easily, adapted easily. And I bring that into the world that wherever I do my work now as well. I'm, uh, I'm a bit of a chameleon and very adaptive to the environment that, I, that I'm in. I think I learned that very early on. Um, and because we always, my parents are hippies at heart, really. <laughs> That's what they are. And I was the flower child. And so we always had that connection to doing things uh, that were out in nature or to do the picnics and be outside and things like that. So even though we lived in a city, we had a beach nearby, and even though Dad – worked for one of the you know biggest advertising agencies at the time which was ogilvy and mather and we used to love going into his office and walking around and seeing all of the different creatives on their their very first like um apple macintosh computers those like boxy ones we used to play frogger on them and things so i think i just was very adaptive at each time an environment changed
1: Obviously, when we're young, we have huge influence from our parents. But was this someone or or one or two people that were really influential in leading and kind of shaping you through kind of your teenage years and into young adulthood?
0: Oh, that's a good question. You don't get asked that question very often. Um, My dad was always someone who I very much looked up to. So he was an exceptional creative um, at what he did. And but also um, a futurist in a way, I guess we'd call him now, not at the time that that's what you were called, but he always had an eye for where things were going, particularly when it came to marketing and advertising and, mm. and was sort of known for that. Um, and he started his his own business while I was in high school. So I saw at the kitchen table um, a group of you know guys and girls um who had been working for major advertising agencies that secure job um regular income all those types of things were then out there with a startup basically and they would all come to our kitchen table to do the the strategizing and the building of a brand and and things like that and dad would he started a little marketing newsletter while he was in high school as well and so I was—I had an eye for detail, so I would often be a proofreader of this particular newsletter and it was called The Marketing Globe and it was a collection of, um, he would read extensively, a massive academic, and so he would read all these and then pull the best bits out, the eyes of things, and put them into these little tidbits, these little snapshots of like what's happening in marketing, what's the latest campaign that's working and things like that. And people would subscribe and we would have to then... Um, proofread and then get it printed the good old printed edition (laughs) at the time and put them into envelopes and I remember printing off labels for them and when you put the label on if it was even just a little bit like not done right centered we had to do it all over again so that was I think quite formative for me in those years of seeing how possible it was to just start your own business at the kitchen table um but then also i had one of their friends jackie jacobs i used to always look up to as well she was a nurse um but good friends with my family but there was um like there was a difference to her in terms of her like sophistication and how she held herself and um yeah just her world and things that i always looked up to and she used to babysit me and things so i think yeah you notice um even just simple things as children right we notice styles and personalities that we feel attracted to or we look up to in some way that influence influence you but for me in those teenage years it was very much um, dad doing his business from scratch and watching that um, that was a big influence for me
1: I can really see that you know in the time I spend with you around your your entrepreneurial spirit and and also that you know, real attention for detail. But I, I want to know: was was kind of entrepreneurship and, and working in kind of a creative type space and and teaching people was that your first love or or was dancing your first love? What what was the thing that really inspired you when you were young?
0: Yeah, um, I think I was I, I was in a household that never asked the question: What do you want to do? like we never had that question around us it was it was kind of when i look back and i reflect now yeah there was literally like imagine no expectations (laughs) it's almost as tricky as too high expectations because you're then sort of floating but i appreciate it now of course um so i did well at school and once and when i finished my hsc i at that particular time my focus was to do psychology because I actually wanted to do sports psychology because mm. the dream job at that time was to be the sports psychologist for the Australian cricket team. Very good. <laughs> because I had just been like, uh, you know, the last six years at an all girls Catholic school. So the <laughs> idea of being in the men's locker room sounded good. Um, I was a cricket fanatic at the time. I used to go to the test matches. I had some friends and we'd go to the one days and, um, But I was fascinated with the mind in a way and how you can watch sporting teams, as you would know, Craig, and uh, they can be completely like losing in a first half in a way. And then something that is said, it's literally there's no extra training they can do at halftime. There's no extra like lifting of the weights. It has to have been something that is said that has shifted a perspective, a way of thinking. That means when they come out, they, they play differently. And that... That really interested me at the time. Um, so I, was, that's, I started off doing psychology at university, but while I was at uni, I started doing some tutoring to get by. I'd done well at school. It was a natural thing for me. I had taught dance for a long time, so I sort of had that teaching um, element there, and I'd always enjoyed it and was quite good at it. Um, and then my friends were tutoring and they had extra students, so I picked up a few students. But then that's when I was like, oh, I actually really enjoy this. I love this one-on-one. I love the helping of students based on something I've learned. I spent all those hours studying, right? And now all of a sudden I can help somebody else because of those hours. Um, And so I was like, wow, I really, let's see where this goes. But then I started a business out of it as well. Because I was like, I'm good at this. And then my friends are good at this because we're young and we've only Mm -hmm. just finished school. So we speak the same language as our students. They think we're cool, but we're still making them do their math and we're, you know, and so then I was like, well, why don't I turn this into a business? And I think like, because I had parents who were at the kitchen table starting a business only a few years ago, they didn't really have a whole lot of expectations around what you do. I was like, why not? Um, and I was still living at home. And so I used a lot of the resources that they were building through their business to... Um, Dad wrote the very first advertising campaign for nice. the for the tutoring business. And um, his headline he came up with is, Is Your Child Falling Behind? Ooh, <laughs> I know, clever. right?
1: <laughs> very clever.
0: Um, so, and I think from there, I just realised that Teaching was something that was exceptionally natural for me, Mm. whether it was the tap teaching, whether it was tutoring or whether it was now helping other tutors to learn how to be a good tutor. And so it then influenced where the next lot of steps went in terms of following that.
1: All right. So I'm learning something new already today around that you wanted to be a sports psychologist. And we've got a lot of alignment because I I was studying sports psychology and but ended up going down more of the biomechanics physiology side. But that that fascination with mindset and, you know, becoming a an entrepreneur. Obviously, you'd seen what your parents had done and and it was kind of like, okay, well, cool. I can just start this on the kitchen table, so to speak. The the mindset of an entrepreneur. Tell me a little bit around how you had to approach obviously you were young and just trying things and very pioneering, but but what was the entrepreneurial mindset that you loved about starting your own business and, and later on actually creating new ones?
0: Mm. Yeah. What I loved about, I mean, at the time you didn't know it was entrepreneurship, right? At the time it was almost like set up shop. It was almost like a game. Oh, what do we do? Oh, we have to get a phone number. Oh, we have, you know, it was just like kids playing set up shop at the beginning even though you're 18, 19 years old. Um, what I love about entrepreneurship as uh, an attitude, as a almost like a way of life, really, once you get into doing it a few times, is um, the freedom to be creative, mm. the freedom to do it in your way. Uh, and But also, because I'm an achiever, <laughs> the responsibility that sits on your shoulders so i think because like i've never had a job working for somebody else until only just sort of recently during COVID i took up a a position and um due to some other things that were going on but from the eight from sort of 18 years old when i started my first business up until then and i'm you know in my 40s now (laughs) um I had never worked for anyone else. I'd always worked for somebody else. And so it was so interesting to move into a position where I wasn't the boss anymore and it wasn't my business to then sort of try that hat on and that mindset on and see the real difference there and kind of go, wow, I get why people like this. I get why they like that certainty, why they like the regularity, why they like being shown what to do and how to do it and, and when it needs to be submitted. But I could also see that that's that wasn't allowing for my best self. And actually I'd fallen into entrepreneurship because it was actually best for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, love, um, that you can action and you can have the idea and then you can just action it straight away and try it and experiment with it. Um, I like that you, um, can be sort of doing it from anywhere at the same time as well. But I also like that with the entrepreneur mindset that you, you have to be thinking across so many different domains. So even though my mastery of sorts is very much within that education and, and teaching and, and sharing and facilitating, that would be definitely be a skill that is my mastery. Um, but as an entrepreneur, you have to be across all of the elements, whether that's branding, whether that's marketing, whether that's finance and and so on. And at the beginning when you're like 19 years old, you're doing it all. <laughs> so I like taught myself MYOB um, and all sorts of other things. And when This was when website didn't exist when I first started it. Oh, my God, the dark ages. <laughs> <laughs> but when it did, I could see that it was coming up. So then having to learn that and find people who, were, who knew how to do it at that time. I just love that constant learning as well. Like I, I love to learn. I'm an investigator. So like digging into research, learning more, giving it a go. Um, so it sort of just pushes all of those buttons of mine. And it also, it's really great to make money too.
1: <laughs> so being an achiever, you tend to, you know, want to keep pushing the boundaries more and more and more. And how can you make it better, etc. And we find with all the successful people in the world, they had this re- relentless pursuit of excellence. So as an entrepreneur, you know, it being your own business and it being the heart and soul of who you are, how did you manage that, being able to separate yourself from, I'm an entrepreneur, but I've also got this other life where I need to uh, relax a little bit so I can come back and be at my best. How did you balance that aspect of of the pursuit of excellence?
0: Hmm, I don't think I ever did. um where i'm at with that now is that i i see how um i think when you're in startup and entrepreneurship and i see it a lot like i deal with a lot of entrepreneurs um within my group of friends uh people who i get to work with at speakers institute and things i just, i get to work with a lot of entrepreneurs and there is really no such thing as like total balance right there's like if we go for this all of the time, we end up feeling crap because it just never happens. There are times when it's like this and then there's times when it's the other way and then overall. But I think what I've also started to see is that the, the, the exercise, the meditation, the yoga, the walking in nature, the all of those things are actually the work just as much as the responding to the emails, writing a new program, creating a new social like they actually... Just as much the work as the other, um, and one helps the other, and then they sort of, you know, co-create amongst themselves. Um, when I was younger, because it was sort of all you had in a way, you had I was at university and a business um, and friends and social. It all kind of fed off each other because I I would find new for I would find new tutors for the mm. tutoring business while I was out, <laughs> the partying because that were of the same age as me, a lot of them were, you know, similar academically as well. You'd be like, oh, you want a job? Sure, you want a job? Great, you know. (laughs) So that's how they sort of fed off each other in in those earlier years. Um, And I've always just been a very active person as well. I've danced, as you said, and I danced for many years and I taught for many years. So that was just kind of who I was just as much as running the business as well. Um, I'm I'm also just, I guess I like having lots of plates spinning. Mm.
1: (laughs) So there's one thing about having, you know, plates to spin for yourself that, you know, quite often we're either in a situation where we are in close relationships with, you know, sort of successful entrepreneurs, you know, very driven type people that they could be driven as as a CEO or leader it's a really challenging space when you've got two people in the household that are extremely driven and are extremely successful. And how do you balance the kind of the pressure, the, the time commitments, and especially if you start to grow a family with children, et cetera. for you, how did you find you know managing, a, you know, those close relationships and, and what sort of some things that you have observed that people can take lessons from?
0: Hmm. Many layers to that question. <laughs> so there's no magic bullet. There's no magic wand. Every situation is completely different, is what I've come to see. And the more that two high achievers come together, they need to utilize that same energy to work out how to make it work. Mm. And if if you're both committed to that, then it's a completely possible. Um, In my own instance, uh, obviously, yeah, I uh, married a very successful entrepreneur who I met in those early years. So, you know, Fred Shabesta, he's the CEO of finder.com now. We're no longer married, uh, but I I can weave that in and let you know what happened along the way. We're very good friends. Um, And he was always very extremely driven. But his very first job, he actually worked for me to begin (laughs) with, similar to Sam Cawthorn in that he applied. Somehow he found my New Horizon tutoring website for my tutors and he applied to be a tutor with me at the time. And then in his application, it actually said that he built websites. Hmm. And I knew that I needed a new website with a better database behind it to help us do certain things. So I interviewed him for the job as a tutor, but then I also asked him about the website and then that's how we came into each other's orbits and I would run at the same time, I would run young entrepreneur events um, that he would, you know, came along to and um, eventually sort of spoke at as well. Um, so in those early days yeah, we both had businesses that were really important to us. Um, and. There are different stages as well. I think I think that's sometimes tricky too. You may be both, um, you know, high achievers, but you sort of tr- sometimes there's different speeds to each of you as well, which can be tricky. Uh, and communication is, you know, very very important. And I wouldn't take my relationship with Fred as the benchmark at that time because you know we didn't end up staying together. Um, but that whole process of separation, divorce, working through settlement, actually turned the two of us into much better communicators, much better humans. We both had to work on each other and not on each other, on ourselves, for each other, because we had these children now as well. Um, But in terms of my timing there as well and pace, um, when I had children, I took time off it was always something that I knew that I wanted to do was actually be a full-time mum when I had smaller children. Um, One, it was partly what I saw as the role modelling from my own mother, but it was just, I'd always loved kids. I used to teach kids um, with their tutoring or with their dance classes. And now uh, that for me and the mothering that I wanted to do, I took that time off. So I had a good sort of um, three to five years really of only working on the side
1: um,
0: and having a business partner who took over the business at that time because then my priorities changed and shifted too in terms of what I wanted. Um, So that was navigating two high achievers through children and separation and divorce. And now both on our own trajectories um, and supporting each other on that as co-parents, as friends. Um, and so you, the biggest thing I've learned out of that is you have to be doing work on yourself. Mm-hmm. The more work you do on yourself, it helps the partnership. And whether that partnership is living in the same home or whether that partnership is with your business partner, because that's just as important, right? Um, I've had some not so great relationship with business partners and then some really great relationships. So it's similar there. And the more work I do on myself, the better I am at every single one of those types of relationships and being able to then work and say, look, I'm going like this. If you're going like that, it's okay. Let's have a chat about how that works and so on.
1: what i love about both you and fred is that you have this deep respect for you both each other's talents and uh, i really really admire that from both of you when you speak about each other just around you know what you're so good at and they're so proud of you're so proud of each other which is you know really special to see Hmm. you've talked a lot here about teaching and that love of love of learning what do you think makes a great teacher or you know, even a, even a coach or facilitator, you know, what makes them really great at what they do? Mm. Um,
0: Particularly for like teachers, um, even coaches, I guess, one of the biggest things I feel is that they've walked the talk. So that that's what made us, why I started tutoring in the first place and turned it into a business because we were young people who had just done that. So we were, We'd done the walking, and so now we could actually help them with the talking. So I find in terms of a teacher, it's someone who's actually got the experience. They've got the runs on the board to begin with. Um, Then what makes a really great teacher is they're always thinking about it from the learner's point of view. So they actually can remember what it was like when they were learning it so that then they can think about okay how would i construct this again for myself um because you can never assume anything in terms of where people are starting um and like no sort of assumed knowledge in a way to then move forward and personalizing your approach the same would be true of my, whenever I was teaching dance as well. I had some students who one certain way would really work and others it was a different way. So um, constantly, I think a teacher is always thinking about how, what's a different way I could do this. If it's not landing, if you can see it's not landing, so then there's that real like intuitive you can feel and see if if it's not really landing that you can adapt and go, okay, let's think about it through a metaphor. Now that's not working. Okay. Let's think about it through a story then. Okay. That's not working. Let me go technical on you and steps and process. So you're constantly kind of, yeah, weaving it in a way for whoever is actually in front of you there.
1: We both kind of at the same time, really fell into that opportunity to be facilitating coaching online more often. Um, I was very fortunate to do my first online coaching back in 1998. (laughs) So it's been quite a long time, but actual facilitating where you are facilitating a learning process, you know, when COVID hit. For you, what was the biggest shift that you had to make around the ability to help someone learn through the lens of a camera?
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so after 20 years like i started like speaking presenting facilitating um like 20 years ago and i fell into doing workshops moving from the tutoring it kind of then fell into another business called the frank team where we delivered workshops for young people um and that's why I sort of cut my teeth and learn how to do all of the whole thing, how to take a room, how to move a room forward, how to come up with the games, how to do a flow of, of a learning process, and then to take all of those, like that's a muscle, right? That's 20 years' worth of a really strong muscle and all of a sudden go, okay, now do it here, like this, where you can't the people are not in front of you. Uh, they can only see from here to here, right, and they're still struggling with the technology at the same time as you are um it was a massive massive shift i remember and also i was an absolute like i was a skeptic as well because after 20 years of doing it face to face i was like how can you take a day's worth of facilitation or training and where you can feel each other and you can move around the room because I'm an experiential movement kind of a person in kinesthetic in whatever I do too. How can I do that? Like right here, there's no way. It, it it can't happen. And I remember doing like the very first one for Speakers Institute where you're forced to do it, right? It's either that or you close down the business and, and that's just not possible. I was like, okay, let's give this a go. And the transformation that happened for people in the day Like they really got the content and they actually really got to practice and they actually felt like they learned some skills and we were able to sort of adapt. I was like, wow, the futurist in me goes, okay, this is possible. We need to make some adjustments, of course, but it's completely, we can have the same experience here. We are actually still feeling each other even though it's across the internet and and here with a physical screen. Uh, it's, and that's what, you know, for me, that's all about energy, right? It's all energy and vibration. So whether it's like physically in the room or here, it's very, very similar. Um, some of the key things I had to learn was technology, like what technology to have. And all of us at the beginning were just stacking books up with our laptops <laughs> on top and with a little teeny mic that we might have found and a lamp from office works so we were able to get during lockdown maybe if we were lucky. <laughs> and I was up in like this attic space with this teeny bookcase I tried to find like make it kind of look a little bit pretty, right? <laughs> it was just hilarious those times. We'll tell our grandchildren about, I remember when... Yeah. <laughs> Um, so technology was a big one to start learning first. And then the second one was um, around c- clearly this, the eye contact piece around a camera because always thinking about what is this like for somebody else watching? I need them to feel like I'm connecting with them. What's the way to do that? So completely retraining ourselves because as a speaker and a, and a trainer and facilitator for 20 years, you I had taught myself to scan a room. Yeah. Right. And and I'm picking up all of the cues from that room all the time. Who's listening? Who's not listening? Who's scribbling something? Who's got their hand up? Who's actually ready for the next bit? Who's not? You know, who started a conversation? What's their look on that for all of those little cues that are gone now, but they're on this little grid. So yeah, um, they are some of the major changes and things that I have learned, but then also you need more time for certain activities We had to utilise breakout rooms and how we could use those so that smaller groups could have their chance to talk. You just start going, okay, well, if these are our tools, how do we use those tools to then get the outcome that we want? Uh, But the basics of communication that we obviously teach at Speakers Institute and Speakers Institute Corporate in terms of how you speak, how you hold yourself, What are your hand gestures or what's the brain? All of those are still exactly the same. So that base is still there. It's just the tools with which we use along the way have changed. Mm
1: -hmm. Very good, very good. It's all around how it's not about the resources all the time. It's around how resourceful you can be with what you have in front of you, which is really good. True. Mm -hmm. When you hear, hear these three words, what's the first thing that comes to mind? inspiring great leader
0: what's the first thing that comes to mind i think of a a great leader that i've learned from actually pauline newen so she's someone who i've got the privilege of uh working with over the past really it's probably been about four or five years um but more recently in the past two to three years um so she's someone who Um, inspires me and is inspiring. I find that she is a great leader in how she does leadership, um, whether that's one-on-one or in a group situation or or within her business. Um, So yeah, she comes to mind.
1: Yeah, very, very good. So you've got your own business, uh, Natural Perfume Collection. Where did this idea come from and and why is it so important to you?
0: So uh, the Natural Perfume Collective was, it, is what it says. It's a collection of Australian um, natural perfume brands. Where did that come from and what is natural perfume is often the questions that I get asked. So along my journey, uh, after you know, some of your listeners may relate that when we have those moments in life where everything shifts, yeah, where there is, it, for some people it's health, and all of a sudden health just, you have a moment like yourself, Craig, and it just drops out in a way, right? There's that that, that real break in the timeline almost. Um, and then sometimes it's health. Sometimes it's um, a, a mental health challenge that comes along. And then there's that moment where it's at, it completely gets to the bottom, really. Um, and then sometimes it's life circumstances, which was for me in my case. So when that divorce happened, uh, my like whole world fell apart. Yeah, what, what you thought, what I thought was going to be life and future all of a sudden had just like disappeared really, literally. Uh, and it makes you rethink everything in those moments. Um, and so the course for me after that period, which was my lowest in terms of how I thought and felt and saw myself. Uh, so many people will often comment, Jessica, you're so confident when you speak and you're you're so courageous in what you do. And yet those moments when that happened, I felt like worthless. I'd failed and nothing I had done in my life really have, was an achievement at all. I felt it was like, What? not that's nothing at all you've done nothing jessica um i couldn't get up on a stage and speak again after 20 years of being you know just being up there all of a sudden i was like i'm not good enough i can't do it like them everyone will know they can see i'm a fake like all of those things (laughs) were right there in my face all those shadows and my process of self-awareness and looking at all of that um, it meant that I had to relook at lots of parts of life. You, so what happens is you, well, from my experience, you start off looking at like, what was, what's happening up here, right? What what happened to mean that I'm in this spot? Because I don't want to be here again. Let's like work this out so that we can go a different trajectory from here. And then as part of that journey, it started, I met someone who um, was making her own body scrubs but she was making her body scrubs from organic ingredients. And at the time I thought organic was only about food that we ate. So I was like, why are you making like a body product out of organic stuff? That doesn't make sense. Do you eat it? She said, no, you don't eat it. You rub it on your body. But she said, have, do you know what you're putting on your body? Have you ever turned any of your products around to have a look at the ingredients? And it was a little bit similar to the process I was going through myself. Right. Have you ever really looked at what's going on in here? And, and so I had a look and the researcher in me got to work and I found out so many of the ingredients now within those types of products that we're using every single day and are around us in our environment um, are actually quite suspect, particularly because we use them on a constant basis and we can bioaccumulate a lot of the toxins within our system. Um, so that then led to me changing not only my own self but then products in the house, uh, cleaning products, beauty products, everything got shifted and then all of, the course, of course you have to find new ones, what are the good ones, what's not. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, more people have to know about this in the world. <laughs> and so originally I did a green beauty box and um, that didn't quite work as a business, it was it was a little bit too complicated, but the space within natural perfume and helping people to make that switch into perfumes that still smell great and are that beautiful experience but have no synthetics and they're vegan and cruelty-free and palm oil-free and everything like that, how to make that really easy to find because it's actually quite hard at the moment, I know, because I've been there and they actually exist there are these amazing beautiful natural perfumes out there and so i wanted a place to help people to find those and purchase those but it's also a place that i can then share a lot of that knowledge and wisdom that i've learned along the way
1: yeah it's it's beautiful when we have those sliding doors moments and the way that we it brings perspective to our world and, and what we're thinking and how we can can change that that internal mindset and some some people can't, right? They get stuck on it and they need support from people. And I love how, you know, for, for people out there, they think, oh, OK, Jessica's successful. She's had a great career. She's she's a, you know, an achiever. But we all have these times in our life. It doesn't matter how good you are, uh, mm. whether you're at the top of the world or, you know, you, you're seen as a great leader in your community. There are times where we just don't like things just fall apart on us and we 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 struggle in our mind to figure out and make sense of something uh, so you know it, it shows we all have these human characteristics they're not just for someone who thinks they're alone in this world no it's happening to everyone uh, at certain times i'm going to Diverge a little bit here, and, and obviously you've you've set up your own companies, entrepreneur, etc. It can be quite lonely as an entrepreneur as well, and and so one of the things I, I really love around Speakers Institute Corporate, which is one of the companies I own and and Jessica works for, is we create this really team, this really good team atmosphere, and and a place where people feel like they belong. You know, for you, what's it been like uh, coming into work at Speakers Institute Corporate? Uh, where now you're working for someone else, as you spoke about earlier, doing that at Speakers Institute as well. How has that really helped you in kind of who you are as a person and and what you love doing?
0: So what I love about working at SI Corporate, Speakers Institute Corporate, is that everyone is like really good at what they do. (laughs) So it's like being a part of the A team, where everyone is on their A game in a way with the the group that I um, get to facilitate with, create programs with. So I love that you're amongst others who are really good at what they do. That's always fun and and pushes you a little bit further too. I really like that. You're like, oh, yeah, I love to learn from those other people too because I've, you know, I started um, presenting 20 years ago, but I didn't learn from anyone. I just kind of kept getting up and doing it. (laughs) And you know, failing sometimes and getting it right other times, and like learning along the way. Whereas uh, you learn a lot faster when you've got others around you who are who are doing things still at a at a high level and a little bit different to you. To go, oh yeah, I could learn from that person. Learn from that person. Like um, I really love that environment um, that pushes things. But ultimately, it's still focused on like who we're presenting to and helping them that's why we're pushing ourselves we're not pushing ourselves just to like achieve and like win an award or something for ourselves it's actually what will help us to be better is then making it so it's better for the learner in the environment that we're in Uh, but there's also the encouragement of up and coming people too i like uh, at speakers institute corporate where there is that um, real fostering of the next level of talent and helping them to build that confidence uh, rather than just like a chuck in. Everyone around them is helping to build um, their skills and their knowledge and their instinct at the same time in a really nurturing environment. It's really, yeah, it's a really encouraging environment there. Um, But for myself within Speakers Institute Corporate and SI, it's also really nice to just, not be the entrepreneur for a little while, <laughs> right? I just get to go in and, and do my mastery and, and do what I'm really good at. Um, but that still allows me to have my time for my own businesses as well. So I, I really like how I've got that balance between um, all of those elements at the moment.
1: And you bring up a really good point there. And, and we see this with some of the world's, you know, best athletes or best leaders, etc. They don't go it alone. And, and they surround themselves with people that help push them up to a higher level. Uh, I was watching the last dance with Michael Jordan the other day. And, you know, he was talking about the point where they were filming space jam in the off season. And so, you know, they had Charles Barkley and they had all these big, big names. LeBron James, I think was there as well. And they would do 12, 14 days, uh, 14 hour days on set. And then afterwards they would go two to three hours scrimmage against each other, the world's best, behind closed doors, uh, making their own rules up like there was no referee. Yeah. So the fouls were harder and they had to work so much better to to be able to achieve. But for them, they it wasn't a selfish thing. It was like, okay, if I make you better, then I have to be better because I've got to get up another level. And so it is pushing each other all the time. And, and I know I see that a lot with now uh, with yourself, when you are as part of the team, you, you're helping draw out more from yourself, but also the other people. And uh, from me, I, I really respect that and, and love that opportunity to see that happening on, on a daily basis, which is really exciting. Mm. One of the, the kind of the areas that you tend to spend quite a bit of time in is, is kind of like first impressions and body language. For those people who... Uh, are still trying to grapple with online and and being you know, in front of the Zoom all the time and, and are still trying to figure out where the camera is and how, how to use that most effectively for influence. How important is that first impression when it comes to being online?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, we, I can go into a whole workshop, Craig. <laughs>
1: you, you want me to
0: <laughs> come so naturally now I can just go into it. Um, when COVID first came and we all jumped online, it was okay to be somewhere in the best place you could find at the little kitchen table and with a little bit of a light, like because everybody was just trying to hack it together. But as we all know, with the speed at which things have changed and the fact that this now online is where business is done. This is the meeting room. This is the boardroom. This is the one-on-one time coaching room. This is the training room. That is the reality. Yes, we will have hybrid and some of that will come back, but ultimately this is the the shift now. So in terms of any sort of professional who wants to build a career, even an entrepreneur, right, these days, because you can now have people on staff as an entrepreneur, as you do, Craig, who are across the globe it's like the way you do business these days you don't just have to go Oh, i must have stuff that are from australia because that doesn't have to happen anymore it just it's this whole world and so what that then means is how we come across here within this online environment makes a difference because basic humans we are always judging other people it's just something we do we are always creating meaning and going oh what does that mean about this person and putting ourselves in the best light to have the best first impression is then going to help in no matter what we're doing right and i also find when you when you can nail those first, it's the same with a presentation or a speech or anything like that if you can nail though that first minute right if you've worked out if you can't remember everything else that you want to say and you're going to use the PowerPoints, what, okay, et cetera. But if you can do that first minute where from the moment, let's say the camera goes on and you know exactly what you're going to say and you know how you're going to say it and you know that you've got the equipment and you are set and you get that first minute, it can set your yourself up. Your whole nervous system can then actually settle if you can nail that first one minute. And then from your audience's point of view, that is then solidified as their first impression of you. They're like, okay, I'm going to listen. It's it's a no-brainer to then really help yourself to find the ways of having that great first impression.
1: Uh, very good. Oh, Jessica, we all know that smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time.
0: It was the last time I did something for the first time. Um, I think recently, it was probably only a week ago because here in Sydney, we have had a week of lockdown. And it's only just been this year after being a dancer for all my life, I had never done strengths training before and i started it this year. Because I was like, I hated being in those gyms and things. It just wasn't me, okay? I know lots of people who like love the gym and everything. I just, it never got me whatsoever. I'd much prefer to go and do a tap class, ballet class. And I know that that's not for everyone either. So this year I was like, no, I'm in my 40s. And I need to like get really good, like bone strength. I need to be smart about these things. I've got another 40 to 50 years of like strong work. And things that i want to do and i want to get done so so i you know went to the network and said who can suggest someone because that's what i'd like to do now you ask through your network and found a really great trainer in bondi and have been working with him um, since the beginning of the year and i love it like totally addicted two times a week now (laughs) so it's really hard in lockdown Um, But I try like he and it's the doing it for the first time in a way in terms of lifting a lot more than I've ever lifted before. Now, that may not seem that different in terms of for the first time, but for someone who's danced her whole life, and never would have picked up a weight before being able to like press up. at I can't even remember what it was now, like with extras that I didn't think I could do before. Right. I I didn't think I had the strength. I'd made up the story. You're not strong enough. You don't have good upper body strength. That's the story I'd made up. And now I can go and confidently like push it up and be like, yes, I can do this. (laughs) (laughs) It just feels really empowering. And you start to go, well, if I can do that and I didn't think I was going to be able to imagine like what else I can do with help though because that took the the coach to know how to get me into the right space teach me the right technique to begin with have the right amount of weight on at the right time like you got to have that expert person there with you to then be able to and then you prove something to yourself where you're like yes i can do this
1: (laughs) beautiful what is the one question that you would love to solve Mm.
0: Wow. (laughs) The one question I would love to solve. Oh, there's 50 billion questions that could, that I'd love to solve Mm. about myself, about the world, um, about the universe. (laughs) (laughs) So at the moment, okay, here's one and it's, it's not, it's kind of funny, but not funny because, so I'm watching the new Loki series. I'm not sure if you're watching the new Loki series at all on Disney. Okay, so it's um, the question that I wanna solve at the moment is who set the timeline?
1: Ooh, great question. I love that, I love that. It's a great question. It's, It's very different to what we normally get asked.
0: Hmm. And really, even though it's about a Disney series, this is why I love it. I'm loving it at the moment because, you know, you're aware that one of my other interests is quantum and nonlinear time and um, in ta- quantum entanglement and Interstellar is one of my favourite movies kind of thing. And this whole Loki series is really looking at, the you know, they've got this sense of the timekeepers have set the time and they are the time... They've got the time police to make sure no one veers off the, to then turn it into chaos, but actually they've just found out that it's, they're actually these androids, so then who is actually behind it, right? But it's that idea of, like, what is time? It's It's actually just a construct, right? It's actually something we've just created in order to do a measurement of something that then helps us to control, really, our movements, our things that we do here in this particular world based on one system but when you really start looking into like science and things it's actually way different and just expands your mind to go well who set time
1: i think that's another it's a topic for another conversation (laughs) and maybe we have to get you back on in a few episodes time jessica you've shared some great insights today and if people would like to connect with you what is the best way they can do that
0: yeah, so Natural Perfume Collective is um, www.naturalperfumeco.com and then from there you can reach out to me, um, Jessica, at naturalperfumeco.com, otherwise LinkedIn at Jessica Kylie as well.
1: Beautiful, and we'll pop those links in the show notes. Jessica, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. I've actually got to know you a lot more today and learn a- quite a few things about you. Uh, and and also understood a few commonalities I wasn't aware of as well. So uh, yeah, it's been a real pleasure. I love how you've always had this real kind of pioneering approach to life. It's like, yeah, let's give it a go. All right. Well, how do we do this? How do we solve that? Let's try this. Let's give this a go. How do we make that better? And you've got this this very curious learning approach to you, which I, I really admire in anyone. I love curiosity and I love seeing people who just want to figure out, okay, Can we do it in a different way? What can I learn? What is next? I love that you um, enjoy the balance of having that that ability as an entrepreneur to be able to create stuff by yourself, but also knowing the importance of having a great team around you that can help you grow and learn and lean on and, and you can support and teach others. And to me, there's no greater leader in this world than someone that actually spends the time to coach, teach and help someone rise up and and I know that people when they're in a coaching or teaching kind of uh, zone they actually learn more about themselves they grow themselves as you teach someone else you teach yourself at the same time so thank you very much for sharing your insights and as I said quantum we're going to have to delve into that in time at some other point but Jessica thank you very much for your time today
0: thank you so much for having me Craig it's been a pleasure and I'll see you some time later
1: Look forward to it. <laughs> Have a good day. It's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to hashtag inspiring great leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Inspiring Great Leaders podcast where the ordinary don't belong.